What, you mean that you could make phone calls? You couldn't make phone calls and go on the internet at the same time? We'll put it this way. YouTube was out, and I remember trying to watch a a music video, and I had to go wait for, um, like, well, and I was on net zero, so I got the 10 hours uh, free per month or whatever. So I literally used up half the month trying to watch a stupid YouTube video. So... Do you remember which video it was? As I lay dying, uh, I can I can find it later. But <laughs> I really appreciate that, Kyle. Rob, what was your first computer then or operating system or something that you remember from the early days? Rob, you know, you all you go first. You're smiling. Sure. Biggest, huh? So our first home computer in our family was an Atari 400 um had a had a a flat membrane keyboard no raised keys my mom couldn't stand it so she took it back to the store and got us an atari 800 with an actual tactile keyboard came with a cartridge for a word processor that had a 10,000 spell check dictionary in it which was phenomenal for me because i hated uh, spelling and never was very good at it um and uh used that for a few years um and then graduated to a, a commodore 64 and then eventually in high school, got my first IBM compatible PC running uh, running DOS, and then eventually uh, Windows three uh, 3.0 and then three one. Yeah, mine's mine's pretty ancient too. I had uh, Commodore VIC twenty, which is the predecessor to the Commodore sixty four. Um, first one, it was like um, it big claim to fame. I think it was like sold for like under three hundred dollars. Um, it had, uh, you know, video game libraries targeted old uh, Atari gamers on those things. So it had, a you know, a cartridge slot like the old game system. So it kind of gave you that excuse to say, I'm getting a computer because it's really good. So they basically your parents were buying you a gaming system, but it looked it was disguised as a computer, um, you know, had no memory, anything else. Cassette tape uh, I had to get a cassette tape recorder to save the basic programs you wrote to it and those kind of things, which took like forever in the day to load and. Everything else, so um, very quite agent. And then um, my dad's work gave him um, gave him a, a IBM PC with uh, Amber monitor and uh, 1200 baud Hayes modem and uh, Oki Data dot matrix printer and a 10 meg hard drive on it. That thing was like fifteen thousand dollars or something back in the day, and uh, had DOS 2.0. And then that uh, that moved me over to the DOS world, and that was about 85 you know yeah, so all right got got it at dos pretty pretty early um but that was one of ibm's first uh thing thing weighed like i don't know thing weighed like 60 pounds it was just ridiculous it was all metal and steel and this big heavy thing but um yeah quite cool um had a lot of fun with that I was going to say, I still, Nathan, I still can... have the main board from my 286 Turbo 12 megahertz in a, in a frame. <laughs> I had it in the office for a while here. It's actually at home now. But I remember uh, that. that was my first IBM compatible PC. It was uh, a, an IBM uh, compatible 286 uh, Intel processor with, uh, with I think it had 64 kilobytes of RAM on it. All Rob right, gave well. me his old Commodore 64 monitor for my vintage uh, game uh, computer collection. So I have this Commodore 64 color monitor. I'm uh, significantly younger, so this is going to show, but uh, our first family PC was still a Hewlett Packard, not HP, uh, running Windows 95. Um, but 
we had megabits of memory rather than kilobits. So, <laughs> um, and, and the first model that I remember the actual name of that uh, we had after that Hewlett Packard was the uh, iMac G3. All right, so we can play Oregon Trail. So. You got dysentery. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, no, as I'm like, I didn't even know that Atari made computers. I'm going to do, I'm like, that was pre my birth date, which we won't name in this podcast. But let's just say that my first computer, I have no idea what any of the specs were, what it was, what it ran. I knew it ran computer games. And then I remember the iMac that had the like round base with the swivel monitor, which was what, 2001, 2002? Mm-hmm. which I'm not that young, but that was the first one that I was like, oh, I actually could do a few more things on this computer. I'm old enough to understand it now. But speaking of understanding technology, we're sitting down today, Tech for Business podcast. We're sitting down with our president and CEO, Kyle, our director of managed services, whose title may or may not be training spoilers, Rob, and our director of cybersecurity, Nate. And then I'm Kelsey as part of our marketing team here to moderate. We're talking about the death of Active Directory, but I wanted to put to you all first, what is Active Directory? So, so, Nate, why don't you take that since it uh, really kind of is a security mechanism. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so Active Directory. Um, and while we're talking about this, um, we're going to specifically be talking about local Active Directory. There's other forms of Active Directory, Azure Active Directory, that kind of stuff. Um, essentially, what it would be consolidated down to is your identity provider. Um, so an identity provider is where do the objects in a network reside as a source of truth. So this could be your computer objects, so a record of your device um, or your user object. This is your username and login in order to log into your computer. Uh, in a business environment, you have this all consolidated rather than stored on every device itself. Um, so when you call into IT, say, can you help reset my password? They can do that from the server. So, but yes, to consolidate it, it's all called a identity provider, um, no matter what solution you're looking at. So. It's basically a database. I mean, it's a it, it's a database that replicates to multiple servers to give you redundancies and those kind of things. But essentially, it's a database with those records on it. I guess I'll uh, kick off um, the, the title of this thing, right? The death of Active Directory. Uh, that's a pretty bold claim uh, together. So it, the one thing I'd say here, again, as a reminder, we're talking about local Active Directory that's installed on a server, not some of the other cloud solutions. Um, death of Active Directory, this is not something that we made up. This is actually a pretty old saying at this point. Uh, there's been a lot of people that have seen the evolution of the cloud or cloud technologies really start to take over. And so while while I was doing some quick uh, prep for this podcast, I actually found things all the way back to 2014 saying death of Active Directory, death of Active Directory, death of Active Directory. Um, and then I, I believe, you know, Okta, which is uh, what CIT uses and what we can talk about a little bit later, they have a whole marketing slogan called break up with Active Directory, uh, which is the nicer way of saying death of Active Directory. But um, so that's that's the uh, again, a bold claim. We'll start with that. We know that a little bit clickbaity, but um, but it's a good topic to discuss. So what I, we're I think- saying here is Active Directory, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> we're gonna break up with you <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think 
if if you look at it, why 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 are they saying that? It's it's really just because there's a lot of uh, challenges and issues in around Active Directory, given its age and its design. So I think if you go back, Active Directory came out with Windows 2000. So we're talking two decades old. So this has been around the block for a long time. So in, and in technology years, that's a long time um, to go through. And it's obviously gone through many evolution sides with it. Um, but as things have transgressed and gone to the cloud, as Nate was referring to, as you go to that source of truth, this is a, a directory and or a database that's internal to a network. So as people are outside the walls of the network side of it, uh, there's your first issue um, that, that comes into play. Um, the accessibility side of it becomes a challenge. Um, Microsoft has tried a few you know, um, things in their enterprise version of Windows to allow you to have direct access over the internet to your internal active directory. They've done, you obviously can do VPN connection sides of it. Um, no surprise, the pandemic really, you know, created a lot of challenges where people are not allowed to come into the office. And the technical problem you run into is, is it, it's designed with the intention that you would be connecting to the Active Directory on a periodic basis to receive updates and, and policy changes and just verifying that your device is still active or it starts to expire things out. So no surprise, customers start running a challenge when they didn't show up at the network for extended period of time, um, things started to break and start to have challenges. Um, that coupled with just the myriad of security challenges, because again, as Nate referred to it, it's a single source of truth. So it's no surprise that that's a, a popular target of, of threat, you know, threat, threats attacking the network side of it. Because you get the keys to that kingdom, you have everything. Um, and you can start working through the network. So it becomes the main, you know, large attack vector to be hitting on. So there's a lot of reasons to look at to say, uh, we, we got to find a better solution for this. And that's where Microsoft's Azure AD kind of comes in. It's where Octa, the Nate reference, comes in. So there's new modern ways and approaches. And we can definitely get into some of the topics to say, what are the benefits of the alternatives and then why does it make sense? Um, and before I turn it over and let you guys start talking, the last piece from, um, from a design, why I talk about it now is because it's not something that you just flip a switch and say tomorrow we're no longer using our internal active directory. This is a, a, something to start planning for now is the reason why we want to have the discussion out there now, because you can start making this transition. You can work in a mode and allow yourself to start having the idea that you're going to eventually you know, remove active directory from uh, being a need within your business side of that. And you can start making those decisions now with that new laptop purchases, new licensing, new models, and make that a much uh, smoother transition for the users, the organization, and for costs. Um, and you can couple it around end of life of server OS hardware, things like server 2012 coming into life later this year might be a good time. Um, if you hadn't already started, uh, your clock is ticking. If that's where it's at versus paying for the cost to upgrade to a uh, newer version of server uh, for your Active Directory, maybe you can make the change. So there's there's some good reasons to have that topic now. And and, and as we talk about the the transition away from local Active Directory, um, the challenges that, that a company is going to face uh, is going to vary depending on their size. You know, if you've only got five or 10 users, 
moving away from local Active Directory to to something like Azure or Okta is a much simpler task. There's, there's fewer variables. There's fewer things you have to consider. Um, larger organizations with with potentially hundreds of users, that's a that's a big challenge. It's going to take a lot of time. You've got to you've got to consider the 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 impact on all the individual computers. You've got to move them off of local Active Directory and do cloud joining. Um, you've got to consider groups and security rights and a lot of things that come into play. Um, so this is not something that gets taken lightly by any organization, um, and the challenges that are faced, uh, you know, is is different from from one organization to the next. Uh, here at CIT, we are in that process, and and we've been in this process for over a year as we've slowly been migrating away from from the local on prem, and in this this new more modern hybrid world where where you can work from anywhere uh having that that tie that local active directory server uh as kyle mentioned you know you have to be on a vpn or you have to you know take extra uh, steps to, to try and, and make sure machines are updated uh, that's becoming a huge uh, hindrance to productivity in, in business yeah and rob said that we've been in this for at least the last year um We've been in it heavily in the last year, but it starts well before that. Um, Kyle, I don't know if you wanted to give a little history of your vision for CIT and um, what really started to kick off this mentality here at CIT. And then I can jump into maybe a little bit of the, first the security concerns about the local Active Directory, and then maybe start how our different cloud solutions allow us to be a little bit more aligned with your vision. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely I can do that. I mean, if you look at from our approach and my vision side with CIT was, as Rob mentioned, the ability to work anywhere, anyplace, anytime, and to be able to provide secure services for our customers and access to that. And if you look at our system sides of it, that really is predicated on eliminating the, the single uh, on-premise solution sides of those and, and having our on-premise solutions be a hindrance to the business in some way, whether it's a power outage or, um, you know, brownouts, different uh, internet failures, all those other things, and their impact and ability to service the customer sides of that. So uh, we're very cloud-centric side of that. And so the move and say we want to be cloud-optimized, cloud-centric um, for multiple uh, reasons. One, that availability being one of them. Uh, security being a big uh, uh, another part of it, uh, being a managed service provider, security is extremely important to us um, and putting the layered securities and allowing us to not have that single entity to allow anything on premise to create a, a problem for our customers. Um, eliminating that was a huge um, component of it. Um, so ultimately, it was looking at all those on premise systems and we went through our financial systems. We went through all those other ones, and they've all been, you know, slowly but surely moving to to cloud options in those areas. And Active Directory definitely then being being the the one of those solutions need to be addressed. And um, you know, we looked at different directory services. We really liked Okta um, for you know Nate to get into many things. We could do a whole separate podcast on that product alone. Um, but again, to try to look at a cloud directory for that single source of truth and provide additional security and option sides of that, that really um, uh, answered a lot of uh, questions for us and, and needs for us in that area, too. Yeah. So I, I guess I'll start off a little bit um, with some of the security concerns. Um, so, you know, myself and my team do a lot of ransomware response. And oftentimes what happens is, there's a lot of bad 
practices being done in a network that then leads to a greater compromise. Um, so the and it's a little bit of the admin's fault, but it's also a little bit of I'm going to say Microsoft's fault because Active Directory is not built to be secure by default. It's built to be usable. Um, they have some security and they try and push it and make the recommendations. And uh, if you go read the documentation from Microsoft saying, here's the best practices for Active Directory, it's intense. There's many, many pages, many, many steps. Um, it actually is essentially a re-architect of how these networks are actually built. So typically in a network, you deploy Active Directory, you set up your users, your admins, you grant access, and you're on your way. If you go take a look at that documentation from Microsoft, you should have tiered approaches. So for example, your admins should only ever be able to log into your domain controller, which is that server running Active Directory. Then you have a workstation or a server admins, workstation admins, and then a standard user. There's many, many tiers and silos. You should never be able to log in from your domain admin down to a workstation. By default, you can, and it's there's nothing to prevent you from doing that. So it takes significant work to do that. And oftentimes that's where the issues come in is you have a, some domain admin logged into a PC where a user had local admin, they can take that hash or password, send it right to the server and log in. Uh, it's called a pass the hash attack. And it's because someone didn't architect it right uh, or follow best practices. So that's just scratching the surface on some of the security stuff. But that's what was keeping me awake at night for a long time, uh, even on our own network. So. Well, the other side, just to add to that side, as I mentioned, it's been out for over 20 years. So if, if you've been running Active Directory for, you know, close to 20 years sides with it, there's stuff in there that probably hasn't been looked at in a long time, past user accounts, past things that were done when the threats weren't nearly as prevalent. And those things, as Nate was alluding to, they're just waiting to be exploited there. And you just don't know uh, that they're there. So. We do go through a process with our customers, Active Directories, and do audits to try to uh, identify these um, past admin accounts, user accounts that are no longer in, um, needed, how many, you know, where, where are the permissions at to try to find these uh, these areas, things like copier, copier, and for scanned, uh, you know, scanned directory and those kind of things that somebody just gave admin rights because they couldn't figure out the permissions and now, you know, that becomes the point of the ransom attack. We just saw that far too prevalent. Um, but there, there's a myriad of things, as Nate's alluding to, with that Active Directory that many, many businesses just don't have the bandwidth or the technical expertise or or, the, or they you know, want to make that investment into trying to protect such a massive mm -hmm. attack vector. Yeah, I'll take it slightly you know back to the higher level uh, I, I could go deep into active directory and uh, i'll summarize that discussion with microsoft provides backwards com compatibility uh, to ensure that again you can continue moving forward even if you have legacy systems um the the i guess the topic that i'd say is this is all part of our journey to the concept of zero trust um, now, that's a kind of a buzzword. A lot of people <laughs> disagree if you can ever truly hit zero trust, but that's the journey we have. There's a whole podcast about that. Um, many, many challenges that we've run along the way. 
Um, I could maybe have Rob talk about all the different challenges that we've put him through trying to help implement all of this. But um, but the, the biggest thing here is with these cloud solutions, they have integrations with other tools. So for example, we can, the role of CIT is to not just protect our own network, but protect the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of our customers' data as well. You know, we don't want to be that hub that gets compromised, and then we have multiple customers compromised. So for us, navigating down this path, we can get to true user-level authentication and device authentication and making sure that you cannot access these critical resources unless everything has been evaluated. So even if we have someone's password that was compromised and you know they have multi-factor and they still get in on some other device, it can't happen, right? So um, Rob, I'm gonna stop talking, but you wanna talk about some of the challenges that we've run you through? Yeah, I mean, uh, as as we've looked at this, you know, we started off with first of all, how do we secure our local Active Directory, right? So we we actually took away uh, admin rights from from us as normal users. We have to use a separate account to log in as an admin. And I mean, that's kind of step one, right? We had to secure our 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 environment before we could really start doing a lot of the other steps. Um, but uh, as we're as we've been doing this migration and uh, and the challenges we come up with is is really a set cleanup. Like Kyle mentioned, we've got data that's been sitting out here in Active Directory for so long that nobody remembers why it's there or what it was for. And so we have to go through and essentially rediscover. You know, why why did this account get created? What's it being used for? Is it still being used? What was a lot of times somebody logged into it? What you know, what's it what's it got access to? Uh, who's members of which groups? Uh, are the group memberships even still appropriate? Are the group names, uh, you know, descriptive enough that it actually tells us something? And have we recreated those in in uh, in our cloud environment? So uh, taking a security group that we've used on premise for years and translating that to something in in Office 365, um, and making sure we have the appropriate team members in there. These are all things that we've had to, you know. Uh, we had to document. We had to go through and discover, um, and then we had to discuss what's right to move forward. Um, and those are all things that, that have to be taken into account. Again, uh, depending on the complexity of your environment and how long it's been there, it's going to be different for each organization. And so that's a it's a journey of discovery that everybody has to go through. Mm -hmm. And after you did that, some of the first stuff we started moving away because we wanted to get rid of all these on-premise servers. You know, that was your, all your printers and your file shares. You know, we had to move all that stuff. You know, I don't know if you want to chat about what that was a little bit i think i joined cit as you're doing a lot of that so i can't get into <laughs> Shut, if that was a challenge shutting or not, down, but shutting down the file and print server was uh was probably one of the um the the, the first hurdles we, we we came across right so um for years we'd use a local server to hold files and, and to act as a print server and as we realized we wanted to move away from this local environment we had to figure out well, what do we do you know what do we do with this old data what do we do with these old files where can we move them um, and in this modern environment, again, we were able to utilize things like SharePoint and OneDrive to, to store those, to move users' uh, uh, personal files up to their OneDrive environment, to move shared files and folders up to, to a SharePoint environment, um, and allow people to access it to a more modern uh, interface. It, it's not necessarily drive mapping anymore. It's, it's not what it's been intended for. You don't access the same way. So it was training users. Now this is how you access stuff. This is where you find stuff. Um, and once we thought we had everything, we were able to shut down the server and see what broke. And then when something broke, we had to turn back on, uh, go through and figure out what that was and, and clean that up. Uh, some of the great things that have come out of, uh, of this new modern environment 
our uh, our our uh, cloud managed print services. Right, we can set up a local print server. We can set up our printers and, and distribute them through uh, through groups that are tied to our, our 365 environment. Uh, so the printers are still centrally managed, uh, but we don't have to tie to that local server anymore. We can do it through anywhere. Yeah, I think I think the other side I really like on these. Um, you know, Microsoft calls it the modern desktop. You can call it their 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 you hear the terms cloud joined on these things, but they're essentially connected to Microsoft's cloud directory. Um, their Azure AD side with it, but one of the powerful benefits side of this is, is self-service IT. It's really designed around a low-touch IT deployment model, which again I think is very attractive from um, from an owner executive level side of that. Just the efficiencies of those sides of it to say the days of having to image a, a device and, you know, have, you know, an expensive technician out to sit there and provision and go through all the sides of it and then deploy it. And again, you're talking about people working everywhere. So I mean, now you got to ship and go through these things. Anything you can do to drive to minimize the amount of touch that, that you have to put an expensive IT resource on benefits, not only the productivity of the user, but also the cost of the support of that, of that uh, end user side of those. And, it, why it's it's I, I don't want to paint the picture like it's no big deal. It's super simple and you're gonna go through those things. It is a process to go through those things, but it's definitely driving more and more to that way. And things like the the printer things, those are self-service designed to say, I happen to be at a cube in the office side of it. There's this printer that's close by, I want to print to it. You just go select it and it'll install the printer driver for you. That type of automation, the ability to say, um, I, Nate needs a new laptop. We just drop ship a laptop from HP to Nate's house. He takes it out of the box and it automatically connects to our cloud and installs the apps. And he's, you know, he's working uh, with with our applications without, you know, minimum touch. If he needs some help, then he gets a quick remote support. Rob Spinal, it doesn't work quite that smooth yet. <laughs> Kyle makes it sound really simple. <laughs> You know, but um, but that's that's where it's driving towards. Yeah. Like anything yeah. else, is a maturation process to go through those things, and it does take time to get through it. But um, we're definitely seeing it. I mean, you can definitely witness and see the, the the simplicity that it drives on, and the and the ability to to have some self service IT is definitely where things are moving more and more towards. Um, and I think. As I talk to customer sides, that's what they ultimately would love to see. You know, there's the, the deployment time of users and time to get new devices. And if a device is having a problem to have to sit and troubleshoot versus just say, we're just going to reset you back to default and re, you know, reprovision you. You know, that miraculously eliminates a lot of problems. It's kind of the old thing. We're going to get you a new desktop. Essentially, you're doing that as long as it's not a hardware failure, but you can do it from anywhere. Um, so it's got some very, very powerful functionality, and you can see Microsoft rapidly, the, the features keep expanding, the third-party adoption keeps growing with this. I mean, it's it's the wave is growing, um, and you can definitely see it. So that's it's a good time to start looking at that to say, as I get new devices, should I, rather than joining them to my legacy Active Directory, should I consider going to cloud join? And if you have a 365 subscription and you're on their professional level side of it, which is list for $23, I mean, you have their Intune slash endpoint manager, you have the capability to do this. And it's something that you should start doing and you can coexist them, you know, so it isn't like you can't 
interact still with with your other services, you can. Um, but you can start making those inroads. So so there isn't tethered to the Active Directory. You start getting through the process and figuring out the challenges that you're going to go through um, and allow them to work out. Uh, Al, uh, you mentioned um, a little bit of the, the the different licensing there and everything like, like that. And, you know, that it's the, the wave is coming. I, I guess the one thing that I wanted to quick touch on is I know we have a lot of concerns from customers that are highly regulated saying, I don't know if I need to or if I can do that. Do I need to stay on prem today? Microsoft, they have all these government um, you know, plans. So even on something like the GCC, you can still implement this. Um, you know, for example, even the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, they're utilizing Okta today. Now, I can't tell you if they're still fully on prem, you know, because it's the government. I'm sure they are. Uh, you know, some of these incredibly um, regulated ones are probably still run NT or something like that. You know, I think the military switched in 2004. But, um, but the big things there, I was going to say, is if you're highly regulated, this actually can help you because, for example, things like CMMC, the FFIC, whatever industry you're in, you're going to be required to do things like device um, baselining. You know, do you have the security controls and can you show that you're applying that consistently? That's where this cloud join pushing those policies down removes a lot of that burden that Kyle talked about, about trying to push group policies and VPN to ensure that they're active and everything like that. And um last thing I'd maybe just quick add, uh, just because I know we're coming up on time here, is um, one that we just recently found out along the journey was how do you deal with the wireless as well, <laughs> right? Uh, that was a whole process for us to go figure out is we went away from credentials um, for, the, for the wireless access, and now we're doing full certificate-based authentication, which is actually greater for the security here to say, even if your account is compromised, you cannot get onto our wireless unless you're on a trusted device as well. So, yeah, and I'll interrupt just briefly as the timekeeper. I'll let Rob have 30 seconds to say something else, but just as a reminder to everybody that we do have other podcasts. I know that we have two other ones that talk about the certificate authentication. I believe it's the trust factor and then something about moving away from passwords, death of passwords, an equally clickbaity title. And then we have two different ones on zero trust. And then we have a future one coming on modern desktop. So if anybody was like, we're leaving off in the middle of that discussion, we will circle back to the modern desktop, <laughs> all of that, but bringing it all back here. Rob, did you have anything else you want to leave anybody with if they're thinking about moving away from on-prem Active Directory? Yeah, I think um, I think the 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 trend in the industry has been going this direction for a long time. Um, and, and as we move to that work from anywhere world, it just makes sense. And, and the sooner you start incorporating that into your business plans, the better. I like yeah. it. And it'll take many years to get there, right? Is even if you're pushing hard, it's not a quick project. Technology moves fast, but it's not quick to implement it. Mm -mm. Yeah, just plan for it. I mean, that's kind of what we want to advocate for here is plan now. And you can start making some decisions to start doing some things now to make this uh, a transition that uh, uh, doesn't have as tremendous you know, impact to the organization and productivity side of it if you just start making some moves now. 
planning for it. No, well, thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Nate, for sitting down today chatting about the death of Active Directory. But if anybody has questions, if you have, hey, what does this mean in my environment? It doesn't have to be a sales conversation, but these guys are always here to chat. You can reach out to us at info at cit-net.com or head out to our website, cit-net.com backslash podcast. And we'll be back next week with another episode.